Hello and welcome to Parently, where we tap into the unique experiences and perspectives of parents to celebrate the joys and honor the challenges of child rearing. With new interviews each week, this is a podcast for moms and dads seeking an empowering community and a little levity. Now here's your host, Kelsey Higgins. Hello and welcome to Parently. Today's guest is Anne Garcia, aka the College Financial Lady. Anne has helped thousands of families save millions of dollars on college. A fee-only certified financial planner and managing partner of independent progressive advisors, Anne specializes in helping families balance the desire to support their children's dreams with the reality of funding their own lives. Both very important things, Anne. I'm so excited you're here to talk with us about it today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about you. Where did you grow up? Where do you live now? Significant other kids, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So I grew up in California in the, um, in the San Francisco Bay area and I live in Portland, Oregon now had stops in various places along the way, including a few years in, um, in Germany. Uh, let's see, I, um, have a husband and twins who just turned 21, which is so strange. (laughs) (laughs) Is it true what they say? What what's the 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 days are long but the years are short or something like that? So true. I always remember too when my when my twins were babies, my next door neighbor had high school age kids. And I said to her one day, Valerie, when when am I gonna sleep through the night again? And she said, Oh, if you think you're not sleeping through the night now, wait till they start driving. <laughs> so my apologies to anyone I just freaked out. It's not going to get any better. It's just a different kind of lack of sleep. <laughs> exactly. Tell me about your your background, Anne. I I, I talked about you know a, a fee only certified financial planner. I I don't even know what that is. Tell what me is about that. Yeah. What do you What do you do? Yeah. Great question. So um so I'm a financial advisor, and the world of financial advisors is like so many worlds where there are a lot of different people. Um, operating in a lot of different formats. We in the fee-only fiduciary community only work for our clients. So we don't get any commissions for products or services that we recommend. We don't get um, kickbacks from the mutual funds that we invest our clients in. We are legally required to act in our clients' best interests. Ah, I see. And so one of the ways that I act in my clients' best interests is I discovered along the way of being an advisor that lots and lots of people were asking about college and how to prepare for it. And the majority of financial advisors who were talking about college were telling people to do things like buy life insurance policies um, because that would ostensibly help them in the financial aid calculation, you know, never mind that it pays a gigantic commission to the person who sold it. Oh, okay. How does that help with the calculation? Um, so certain assets in the in the FAFSA, which is the free application for federal student aid, um, mm-hmm. um, which families file to um, to become eligible for need based financial aid, certain assets count as towards your ability to pay, and other assets don't. Mm, and um, and so your five twenty nine plan counts nominally. A life insurance policy doesn't count in the federal methodology, but it does count in most private schools methodologies. 
Okay, we we're just getting right into it. Right that's away. a that's an absolute rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me let me start with this. So, my husband and I have a almost three year old, and so you kind of feel like, oh, we can we can put this off. We don't we don't necessarily need to do anything right now, uh, but we started to look into it, and we were reading articles that were telling us at the current rate, uh, college could cost a quarter of a million dollars at a public school and half a million dollars at a private university by the time our kid is old enough to go. And we were just, holy holy smokes, maybe we're talking about this right now. So it's hard to, to say, but are those numbers accurate? Like, do you really think college will continue to increase at the same rate it has been? So- so there's so many pieces to to that question. You know, number one, colleges do increase tuition. The average rate um, for private school increases has been about 6% per year. It varies tremendously from school to school, though. Um, that's the list price of tuition. Um, the net price, which is the price that families actually pay, has mm-hmm. held pretty steady for the last decade. So. Oh. So there is a large portion of the college-going universe that does pay full price. There's no reason to expect that that's what you need to do um, because most colleges offer pretty significant discounts on tuition and sometimes on room and board to students that they're, that they're trying to attract. So, so the um, there's another statistic that's tracked not as publicly as um, tuition rate increases, but that is um, the tuition discount rate. And the average tuition discount rate last year was over 50%, which means that for every dollar of tuition that's charged, less than 50 cents is actually paid on average. Oh, interesting. Tell me about my my concern or my thought process that, you know, my kid's only three years old. Maybe I don't need to worry about this. Uh, when When's the right time to start thinking about this and planning? So that is such a good question. And um, my, my worry with people who always say, I, I got time for this, is um, when, as a parent, so much of life is in triage mode and college planning maybe never rises up to that level until it really is in triage mode. And so it's very easy to just keep deferring it because there are so many things that require your urgent attention. I firmly believe that the earlier you start, the more choices your, your child is going to have when they, when they get to college. Um, part of that is just simply the power of compounding. So if you start saving earlier, your savings does more of the work. If you start saving later, you do more of the work. Mm. Um, you know, your account has more time to grow. And if you look at, you know, your typical 529, um, 529 savings account, um, in their their age-based or target enrollment portfolios, you have a really limited period of time when that account is invested really aggressively, and then it becomes pretty conservative. So by starting early, you, you increase the likelihood that your portfolio will grow by significant, um, you know, by significant amounts 
because once you get closer to college, you want those dollars to be invested a little bit more conservatively because you're more concerned about protecting your principal. So, so starting early um, is always the best thing to do. And the great thing about you know 529 accounts for savings, you know, of several great things. One is you can set up a monthly investment with a very, very small amount. You know, most plans will let you do. $10 a month or $25 a month. Um, so you can get started on that and just push it into the background and know that that's growing for you on, on an ongoing basis. Um, the other thing that's great about 529s is most of them make it very easy for people to gift to your account. So if you're one of those parents who's like, no more stuff, <laughs> and and you have you know grandparents, aunts or uncles, friends, whoever, who want to be generous with your child, you know, having a 529 account that's open gives you an opportunity to say here, you know, if you want to gift to them, this is where I'd like you to be, um, to be generous. The thing about planning for college though, is I would say it's equal parts, financial planning and parenting. What do you mean by that? So there, so much of what we want for our kids is based around our values, our goals, and our aspirations. And it's constrained by our financial circumstances, mm-hmm. um, and so there are there are a, a whole range of conversations that families need to be having about education um, that can start really early and help you know guide your student along a path that's going to get to good fits for them, good fits for you. And, and successful re- results. So, you know, with young children like yours, a great conversations are with you, um, you know, between you and your spouse or your partner about what your expectations are for education. Um, and, and not just are they going to college or not, um, but do we expect to pay for this completely? What kinds of opportunities do we want to make available to them educationally? Um, um, how strongly do we feel about our own alma maters and, and encouraging mm. them, um, you know, encouraging our children in, in, in that direction? Um, there are, you know, things you can do to introduce your kids to the concept of college without, you know, and, and, and far from that whole oh, you know, if they're not learning calculus in preschool, they're they're behind. But just things like, you know, introducing them to the concept of this is a path for you to consider, you know, take them to a college sports event or, you know, our, our um, in-state schools have a lot of events that are targeted at younger, at younger kids. So um, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and at, down at Oregon State, they have um, they have uh, STEM days for girls um, in elementary school and 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 middle school, oh, and cool. it's a great opportunity for, you know, for younger kids to go down and be in a college setting and um, and see all the fun things that that go on there. You know, as your kids get older, you can start talking, you know, having more conversations about career paths and what your goals are for them, you know, both educationally and your financial support. Um, for those goals. But the earlier you start, the more you're creating and managing expectations, both of yourselves and of your child. And, um, and the more likely you are to have a good set of paths where, where, where you and your child are working together to get them a great 
college experience and um, at a price that works for your family, where it feels like a partnership as opposed to an adversarial relationship. Sure. Yeah, that that all makes a lot of sense. I, I want to take a step back real quick. Um, 529, just give a high level of what that is. That My understanding is that's it's basically a savings account for education expenses only. Correct. So a 529 is a college savings account. They're set up by the states and they have a few tax benefits that make them really good options for um, for college savings. You know, first and foremost, they work a little bit like a Roth IRA where you put you put money in and the growth is tax free and then the withdrawals are tax free as long as they're used for qualified higher education expenses, which includes a, a big range of things. So it's tuition and fees, books, room and board, on campus or off campus. It can be used for community college, for trade and vocational schools. You can even now um, pay off student loans with 529 account assets. There's another, uh, many, because these are state-run plans, each state sets its own rules. And so a lot of states will give you a state income tax benefit for contributions to to the plan. And that can be either a tax deduction or a tax credit on your state income tax return. So I, I'm sure you get this question. What happens if, what whatever happens in life where maybe you thought education, higher education was the path for your child, turns out it's not for whatever reason. What happens to a 529 if you've invested in that and then you don't need it for education purposes? Yeah. So great question. The answer is it doesn't go away. Um, There are lots of things you can do with a 529 if you don't ultimately use it for college. Um, One is, so a 529 account has an owner and a beneficiary. And typically the beneficiary is your child Mm -hmm. who you intend to, whose education you intend to fund with it. Um, So one option that you have if that child doesn't go to college is to name a different beneficiary. So let's say you've got three kids you set up a 529 for each, one doesn't go to college, you can you can rename their account's beneficiary as one of the other, one or both of the of the other two children. Sure. Okay. Um, you can also, like I said, you can use it for a lot of things other than college. You know, you can use it for trade or vocational schools, you can use it for community college classes. Um, um, the other thing is if your student gets, um, and you can also just take the money out and what what happens then is you'll pay taxes on the growth in the account and then a 10% penalty on the growth in the account. Now, if your student, if you save diligently for college and then your student gets great scholarships so that you don't need your 529 money, that 10% penalty on the excess is waived uh. and, and you just pay, you just pay the tax on it. Um, the other, you know, the other thing that I've heard of people doing is, you know, when you, if parents who have surplus in their 529 um, just rename themselves as the beneficiary and take community college classes on their own interests. I heard of one, um, I heard of one parent who found a PGA Tour golf program that was at a local or at a nearby college. And so he <laughs> renamed himself the beneficiary of um of the surplus in his five in his child's five twenty nine, and went and took a golf, went to golf camp. <laughs> That's awesome! I love that. So, so they're very flexible, um, and and given the range of post high school things that you can spend them on, 
um, the likelihood that a, that a child of a parent who is intentionally saving for college would do nothing after high school tends to be, tends to be pretty low. But I did have, you know, I had one client who had saved quite a bit in their 529 and their son wasn't sure that he was going to go to college. He definitely wasn't going to go right away and he needed a car for his job. And so he took, he took a couple thousand dollars out of his 529, was happy to pay the taxes on it and have money to buy a car. Oh, you know, sure. in particular because he was in a very low tax bracket, so the taxes on it were really nothing. Right, right. And I know we could have a whole separate ap- episode on FAFSA, but let's <laughs> talk about let's talk about it for a little bit right now. Um, yeah, absolutely. I know there's plenty plenty to say about it. Um, what should what should parents know about it? What what is it? Number one, what should parents know about it? Um, how does it apply to education, college, et cetera? Give us an overview. Yeah. Um, so the FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid. It is the U.S. Department of Education's form that they use to assess a family's ability to pay for college. Um, so families whose students will go to college who want to be considered for either need-based aid or federal student loans need to fill out the FAFSA every year for every child who's a college student. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the common misperceptions about the FAFSA is that it's the tooth fairy. Um, and it's not, you know, just getting a, a, a good score on the FAFSA, so to speak, which means a low expected family contribution or student aid index, which is the new name of expected family contribution, that does not guarantee that the college of your choice is going to give you lots and lots of scholarships. So mm-hmm. so that's one of the common misperceptions is like, as long as I do okay on the FAFSA, my kid can go anywhere, anywhere I want. It is an important piece of the equation. One of the, one of the really helpful things with the FAFSA is it, you can, you can do, um, it's, before you get to call uh, before you get to the point of filling out the FAFSA like maybe when your kids are in middle school you can um, do the it's kind of like the practice FAFSA it's called the student aid estimator and it's on the Federal Department of Education website and you can enter all of your data for the FAFSA and it will tell you what your expected family contribution or student aid index is this number is in some ways more helpful than the FAFSA itself because that will tell you whether your child is a candidate for need-based aid or whether you should be focusing on merit scholarships. Um, So you are a candidate for need-based aid if your expected family contribution or student aid index is lower than the cost of attendance at the college that you at a college that you're applying to. If your expected family contribution or student aid index is higher than the cost of attendance, then you will not be eligible for any need-based financial aid, and you should be looking for colleges that offer merit scholarships. Interesting. And so the FAFSA formula is really complicated. Um, My book, How to Pay for College, has a very detailed analysis of it, along with a lot of things you can do to improve your um, your score on it, but basically there are four buckets of um, four buckets that go into the formula of of how they calculate a family's ability to pay. The biggest one for most families is the parents' income, 
And so, so it's treated a little bit like taxes where they take all of your income, they give you a few allowances against that income, and then they assess what's left at, at graduated brackets. For most families, every additional dollar of income increases your ability to pay by 47 cents. So every thousand dollars of extra income increases your expected family contribution or student aid index by $470. So that's the biggest bucket of, um, of the FAFSA. Next, um, they look at parent assets. And so that is basically all of your non-retirement um, liquid assets um, and other investment assets. So it's your 529 accounts, it's your checking and savings account, it's um, investment properties if you own it. If you have a taxable brokerage account, you report that. A, a lot of people get really, really fixated on assets. The thing is only 5.64% of their value is considered available to pay for college. So where $1,000 of income is gonna increase your student aid index or expected family contribution by $470, another $1,000 of assets is only gonna increase it by $56. Right, so a much larger impact from the income. Yeah. Now the other two pieces of the formula that get a whole lot less attention are student income and student assets. Students get what's called an income protection allowance of about $7,000, which means a student can have up to $7,000 of income without having to report it on the, on the FAFSA. Um, student assets, on the other hand, are assessed at 20% of their value. So if a student has that $1,000, it's going to increase their expected family contribution or student aid index by $200, mm. um, which is a lot of people go, ah, well, you know, what kind of money does my kid have? Well, this summer, a lot of kids are earning good, good money um, with, you know, with wages being so high. And so, you know, think of a student who's making 15 or $20 an hour working all summer. And then in October, they're going to fill out the FAFSA and they might have a couple thousand dollars in, in their bank account. And that can have a pretty significant impact on, um, you know, on, on their FAFSA. Right. This is going to be a weird question, Anne, but I'm just, I, if you compare it to taxes, right? How do you- That's a great prove, analogy. <laughs> like, how do you prove it? I, I'm thinking about, are there audits or like, how how do you, do you need to submit documentation that all of these things exist? I mean, is it like taxes in that way or is it just you're filling out the information? Like, how does that work? So it's partially- um partially you um submit verified information and then um and then sometimes your fafsa can be pulled for verification so when you report your income you're not just typing in oh i made you know x dollars last year you're actually linking your fafsa to your tax return via um, a tool called the IRS data retrieval tool so ah. they will take your actual tax return um for for your income when it comes to assets, you're reporting um, you're reporting their value on on the day that you file. And if your FAFSA is pulled for verification, you will need to provide documentation of, of that. It's it's a weird the asset number is weird because it's just one number, and so you might have a bank account, three five twenty nine accounts. Um, you know, a savings account, um, maybe you own a rental property and you're just lumping all of that together. 
in, in a single number. So I always recommend to people that if you have anything that's got a little bit of gray area to its value, just make a note to yourself somewhere of how you calculated that, that value. If you do get pulled for verification, then just explain, this is how I calculated it. Um, it might get corrected or they might say, or they might say that's fine. So um, one of the important pieces about income on the FAFSA is, um, is it's, they, they use what's called your prior prior year income. So the first FAFSA that a parent files, assuming you're filing senior, you know, senior year of high school to attend college the next year, is going to be the income year that started January 1st of your student's sophomore year of high school and ended December 31st of their junior year of high school. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's good. Well, and it's, the reason for that, it changed a few years ago to simplify the process so that so that parents could be submitting their financial information in the fall and then get financial aid awards when they got their college acceptance awards. It used to be that it was the next year, and so you would apply to colleges, fill out the FAFSA, and then go back once you'd filed your taxes and, um, and update your income information. And that put a lot of families in the position of of not really knowing what their financial aid package would look like until very late in in the game. So so given that your income is the biggest piece of it and you and it's the income that that already happened by the time you fill it out um it's it, you know it's it's really helpful to start planning for the FAFSA well, well in advance. There aren't a whole lot of things you can do with it. Um, but I do in my book, how to pay for college, I detail strategies that you can take to, um, um, to improve your FAFSA score, as long as you start planning ahead of time. So one of the biggest um, subtractions from your income is the taxes that you pay. So for example, a family in a FAFSA income year might choose to make Roth contributions rather than pre-tax contributions to retirement because that'll increase their tax liability and that's subtracted from their income. Or, you know, if it's a family that's very charitable, you might choose to make your charitable deductions in a year prior, you know, your charitable contributions in a year prior to a FAFSA year so that you're not taking those tax deductions in, in the FAFSA year and you're paying you know, paying more taxes. So think of it as, you know, prepaying or post-paying your taxes. Wow. And have you ever seen those, I don't know if they're like TikTok videos or Instagram videos or whatever, where it's like butterfly in the sky and there's like numbers and all kinds of weird things happening over someone's head. Like they're trying, they're trying to like calculate. Is that how you're feeling? <laughs> That's how I'm feeling right now. Um, but it's a good thing people like you exist because um, this this could get very complex for people who uh, don't deal with it every day. Yeah. Well, and your, you know, your point about it being like taxes is a really important one. You know, you could wait until April 15th and fill out a tax form and call it good. But if you plan for your taxes ahead of time, you'd probably save quite a bit of money. And the FAFSA works the same way. If you just wait until October 1st of senior year and go, oh, I got to do this, um, you, you haven't given yourself a lot of opportunity to, to improve your, your financial picture for, for the FAFSA because the opportunities have passed. We'll be back after a short break. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Strip. After several months of maternity leave, I am back to work, which means I'm also back to wearing makeup. While I do enjoy wearing makeup, I have never enjoyed the process of removing it at the end of the day. Until now, I've been using a new product I love called Strip. It does more than just remove your makeup, though it does do that well. It is skincare that truly nourishes your face with nutrients and vitamins, leaving behind noticeably healthier looking skin. It's made up of clean ingredients and it doesn't have a zillion steps that frankly, I just don't have time for. I've even shared it with family and friends and we all agree it leaves your skin feeling so soft and looking replenished. My favorite product is the Caviar Jelly Remover. It removes my makeup while hydrating with these fun, bursting nutrient bubbles. Support your favorite podcast with an awesome product. Check out Strip and use my discount by visiting stripyourmakeup.com forward slash parently. Strip your makeup, not your skin. Now back to Parently with your host, Kelsey Higgins. Let's talk about scholarships. And, and how can students get more from the schools that they want to attend? Yeah. So, so I think one of the most important things for families to remember is there are so many good college pathways that will meet just about any college budget if you're willing to look for them. Where people get into trouble is when they say, oh, my kid has to go to an Ivy League or... Um, you know, my kid has to go to such and such college, because if that's your approach, then you're stuck with what that college is going to charge for a student, for a student like yours. Um, College is a lot like air travel, where you probably, when you're on an airplane, don't want to ask the people sitting around you what they paid for your ticket, for their tickets, because some Mm. are probably paying less than you and some are probably paying more. College is the same way. Um, So, so there are, a number of schools that are very generous with need-based financial aid, that tends to be a smaller pool of schools than the colleges that offer merit scholarships. And merit scholarships are just scholarships that are really designed to attract and to attract students to, to the college, you know, cost being one of the biggest barriers to, to attending. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion around merit scholarships. Um, you know, for example, that they only go to athletes or they only go to, you know, national merit finalists. Um, Lots of colleges are very, very generous with their merit scholarships. Typically, if you're in the top 20% of students based on um, GPA and sometimes test scores, you're going to be eligible for some form of merit award at a college that offers merit scholarships. Um, Your in-state colleges probably also offer merit scholarships. Most states want to want to um, retain the brightest kids in in the state, and one of the best ways to do that is to make it compelling to attend um, to attend their their in-state college. Um, But a lot of public colleges offer great scholarships to out-of-state students as well. So, for example, my son is going out of state um, to a college that costs us the same as it would cost for him to go in state because they're very generous with merit awards for out of state students. Mm. Um, The unfortunate thing about the college scholarship landscape is it's highly opaque and every school sets its own rules. 
So one of the things that I always recommend that families do, and this is a great thing to do before you even get to high school, is look up the merit awards at your in-state public school. Um, and, And because typically public schools will offer scholarships to any incoming student whose GPA is above a certain number. Okay. And so you as a... And so you as a parent can see, okay, if my kid has a 3.75, they will get $6,000 a year every year going through, you know, going through college. Oh, and by the way, what GPA does the school use? Some colleges use weighted GPA, which includes, you know, which gives you more credit for AP and IB and dual credit and other advanced classes. Others use unweighted GPA. And so and I'll give you an example. That was a big learning for my family where we sort of always bought into the whole notion that the hardest classes you can take in high school are the best. That's going to prepare sure. you the best for college. Um, I have twins. My daughter, we refer to her as a D1 mathlete. You know, she <laughs> loved her IB classes, did great in all of them. My son is also very smart and also a very normal you know, normal boy in that he wanted to play sports and he had a job and he had a girlfriend and he did not want to spend four or five hours a night doing, doing homework. And so he had a pretty lousy GPA, mostly because he was taking classes that in hindsight, we shouldn't have had him taking. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he, he did poorly in a lot of his classes And he was extraordinarily frustrated as a student. I mean, the number of nights that I would find him crying over his homework and telling me, mom, I'm the dumbest person in all my classes. Um, It's, you know, it's heartbreaking as a parent. And then, you know, when the time came to apply to college, I was like, oh, look, if we had encouraged him to take more classes that he would have been successful in, not only would he have felt successful as a student, but he would have gotten an extra $12,000 a year in merit scholarships from the college that he ended up attending. Right. Right. So, um, so equal parts parenting and financial planning. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I mean, you don't, you don't think about those pieces of it. Um, well, because so much of what we're told is better, faster, stronger is the best path. Mm-hmm. And right. the best path for your child is the one where they have appropriate challenges where they learn how to be successful. You know, my son, who got a D in high school calculus, had to take credit recovery math his senior year, is a straight-A student in college and is tutoring statistics. Wow. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. So, you know, the that's it's great to see him blossoming. I regret that we didn't encourage him on a pathway that would have led him to feel more successful as a high school student. Mm. Well, yeah, you, you live and learn. That's right. simply what parenting is, right? And now you're here sharing what you learned with other parents, which is um, very, very nice of you to do. Yeah. Like one of my best friends always said, you know, my goal in life is to be able to afford the therapy that my kids will need. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a lovely goal. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. One, one kind of last question I have here. Uh, I feel like we could go on and I have a million different questions for you. Um, but one thing I, I just want to ask before we kind of wrap things up, obviously education is a huge 
financial expense. Uh, but there are also other huge expenses that may be happening in someone like, you know, saving for retirement or perhaps uh, your the parents want to buy a new home or a second home, a cabin, or, you know, take a big trip, whatever the case may be. What is your advice for balancing um, saving for education and or saving for retirement or trips or houses or whatever? Yeah, it's such a good question, and it's such a hard balance for families to um, for families to 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 strike. So, I do want people to throw out that old saying of save for retirement because there are loans available for college, but not for retirement, because that's how we got to the point of having over a trillion dollars in outstanding student loan ah, um, yeah. debt. We, we didn't even talk about loans yet. Yeah, please continue. <laughs> Um, so, so if you want your child to have the opportunity to attend college, you do need to save for college. And in fact, there's a great deal of data out there that shows that, um, children who, who have some amount of college savings available to them, even very small amounts enroll in and graduate from college at much higher rates than those who, who do not. So, Mm. so doing something to save for college is an important piece, not only of, of having college savings, but of getting your child to attend and, um, and graduate from college. There's probably a lot of chicken and egg that we could go into um, in that. So let's set that aside for, um, for a minute and talk about how you balance saving for college with your other savings priorities. So I would say the number one thing with college savings is be disciplined and be intentional about it. Um, so the earlier you start, the less of your own money needs to go into it. So, so being disciplined and intentional means opening a 529 and setting up a monthly contribution amount that you can, um, that you can, can afford and just putting that on the back burner, taking it out of your household hold budget. Um, it also means on a regular basis, maybe in your kid's birthday, when you're thinking about, you know, the person that they're becoming, spend a minute thinking about the person that you want them to be and what that educational pathway looks like. And that's a great time to look at your finances and say, hey, could we, you know, increase our monthly contribution, even if it's by five or ten dollars? Um, you know, if you can increase your monthly contribution by five dollars a year every year, you're going to have significantly more savings available to you when they graduate from from high school and move on to college. Sure. So, so that's one piece of it. Then there's the question of how do you balance that with retirement savings? So a, fa a family's priorities need to be, you know, we always say liquidity first and then investment. So your first priority should be to have some emergency savings. Your next priority is saving for retirement. Now, my rule of thumb, which is not a diktat, it's a way of thinking about things, is if you aren't maxing out retirement savings which means you know $19,500 into your 401k or $6,000 into your IRA if you're below mm -hmm. 50. Mm -hmm. If you're not maxing that out, then 
you should only contribute 10% to college of what you're contributing to retirement. So if you're contributing $10,000 to retirement every year, the maximum amount you should contribute to college is $1,000. If you want to increase your college savings rate, you need to increase your retirement savings rate. So bump your retirement savings up to $12,000 a year, bump your college savings up to $1,200 a year. So that to me is sort of, it's a way of thinking about it. That's not going to be the right answer for everyone. You know, everyone's circumstances are somewhat different. Um, I think another, you know, another way that families can, um, can help their college savings is let other family members know that college savings is a priority for you. And in lieu of, or as part of holiday gifts, birthday gifts, celebration gifts, you would like them to contribute to your 529. Mm-hmm. and um and help them build you know build the child's future um i i think other you know other kinds of expenses that come up along the way those are great opportunities for family conversations about values and priorities right because every dollar only gets spent once um and so so if if a priority for your family is the kind of quality family time that comes from an annual family vacation where you really have some concentrated and focused time to spend together, do that. By all means, do that. That might mean that your child isn't going to go to a $75,000 a year college. And that's okay too, because you can mm-hmm. find lots of great college opportunities that don't cost $75,000. Mm-hmm. A year. Um, But those are all great opportunities for family conversations about money. You know, here's why we prioritize this family time, or here's why we prioritize your education, or, um, you know, here's what we're doing to help you save for education. I also encourage, you know, families, when you're having money conversations, have them be goals based, you know, so not we're not taking a vacation because we want you to go to college, but the opportunity that we want to create for you, our goal is that you can go to college and graduate without student loans. And so we're not going to Hawaii. Instead, we're going to this cabin on a lake that we can drive to. A lot of teachable moments, right? Just using using everything as an opportunity to talk about money and savings and goals. I like that. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important for families to be having conversations about the money around college and conversations that are age age appropriate and and goal oriented rather than constraints oriented. And um and I I know I could go on to, I could go on for hours on this, um, but it is, you know, one of one of the um several of the chapters in my book are all around how to think about college in the context of your family and your student's life and how to have those conversations at different ages with, with your child. Excellent. Sounds super helpful. Let's just take a minute and talk about your book. So again, it's called how to pay for college and it's not, is it out already or is it coming out soon? It's coming out on the, um, on the 19th of July. So oh, very, exciting! Very yeah, okay, so it'll be it'll be like I'll um, basically the same week within a week of of this episode being published. So very cool, very timely. Um, where yeah. can where can folks get it? 
So it's available any place you buy books, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your favorite independent books, bookstore. Um, you know, right now, as we're talking, it's available for pre-order um, in all those places. And then it should be um, ready to ready to ship on the 19th. Awesome. Congratulations. That's very exciting. Thank you. I am honestly, I am giddily excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a huge, that's a huge accomplishment. You should be very, very proud of yourself. It Um, was a fun, it was a fun project and I'm glad it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Like like most fun things in life, that's a good outlook to have. You know, fun while it lasted and happy to be done. Um, You also have, you have an online course though available right now, correct? Correct. It's called the College Financial Plan. Um, and it is really targeted at families who are whose students are in high school and who really need to get their ducks in a row um, with their college plan. So it walks it walks you through really the key components of late stage college planning, you know, getting ready for the FAFSA and the CSS profile, researching colleges talking with your kid about where they're going, finding merit scholarships and outside scholarships, um, and then um, and then negotiating financial aid awards once they once they come in. All, all very important, very important stuff, especially if you're at that that stage in your life. And that's all on that can be found on your website, which is the, just the title of your book, how to pay for college.com. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. And cool. there's tons, you know, there's tons of other, um, free content on my website. You know, there's a blog and a lot of, a lot of other resources. Um, um, but the book and, and the course are both, are both organized around the principle that knowledge is power, but it's only as powerful as the actions you take based on that knowledge. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so, so both of them really walk you through the process of building out a plan, you know, whether it's, um, setting up a savings account, setting up your cash flow plan for college, um, you know, talking to your kid, finding scholarships, researching colleges, comparing costs, Anything else? Is that is that all we have to worry about? Is there anything else anything else you want to add in there? No, it's it's great. It sounds like a really helpful blueprint, especially for uh, anyone who might be feeling like me, very overwhelmed with the topic and and just needing maybe a little bit of guidance of uh, where to where to begin. So it sounds sounds awesome. Well, and I think you make a great point. It can seem the whole process of the of college planning can seem really, really overwhelming, and um, and one of the most common behaviors that results from that is the ostrich behavior of uh-huh. I'm just not going to deal with this right now. And so, yeah. I would like to help parents to break that into in, into an appropriate and actionable task list because. There are loads and loads of good choices out there, loads and loads of good fits. And the sooner you start, the more choices your child is going to have. That's great advice. Great advice. And you've been so uh, informative. You're obviously very, very knowledgeable. Thank you so much, Anne, for joining for an episode today. I just I think it's been um, a very insightful conversation and the listeners are really going to enjoy it. Oh my gosh. It's been my absolute pleasure. I could talk about this all day long. (laughs) And you do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
And to all of the listeners, thank you for joining as well. I invite you to tune in again next week for another insightful conversation. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. See you next time.